Hello everyone, uh, Preston Despin is co-founder of Growth Equity Group here. Uh, happy that everyone could join us this evening. Um, we have a very exciting webinar presentation where I actually have a special guest that I'm sure most of you saw uh, on the uh, registration email that you clicked. Uh, his name is Matt Sorensen and he's a partner of KKOS Lawyers. Um, they assist clients nationwide and Matt's practice areas include self-directed IRA law, business entity formation, tax law, real estate, and securities law. And Matt is also the author of the Self-Directed IRA Handbook, um, which is an authoritative guide uh, for self-directed retirement plan investors and their advisors. So without further ado, I'm going to actually turn it over to Matt Sorensen to uh, tell you a little bit uh, about his business and uh, how he helps individuals uh, set up those retirement accounts that allow for alternative investments. Okay, well, thanks so much, Preston. I appreciate the uh, introduction there. I'm excited to be here with everyone today. All right, well, let me, um, let me just dive into the topic, if you don't mind. And I, of course, you know, being a lawyer, I'm just going to give everyone a disclaimer as we get started here. Um, Keep in mind that this information is meant to be educational in nature, doesn't constitute an attorney-client relationship, and consult professionals before engaging in the actual transactions. Um, Preston already mentioned a little bit about myself. Uh, my book, The Self-Directed IRA Handbook, is the most widely used book in the self-directed IRA industry. For anyone who's looking at using a retirement account to invest in real estate or interested in this topic, wants to know the rules, I highly recommend that book. Um, I always tell people when you use a self-directed IRA or when you use self-directed retirement plan money to invest in real estate or a small business or you know something besides buying mutual funds or stocks, whenever you do that, it's kind of like playing a new board game. At first, you need to know the rules and it takes a little bit of time to learn them. But once you do learn them, it's easy. You, you know how to play the game. You know what to do. You know what you can't do. You know when you'd move it like this or like that. It's pretty, it's not complicated. It's just new. And so um, that's why I wrote the book because there really wasn't any rule book out there, a guide that told you how to do it. And uh, that's what I tried to accomplish with the book. Um, I just got over 10,000 copies sold um, about, a, about six weeks ago. Uh, the book's been out about two years. So I've been really happy with um the uh, how it's been received and knew it was something that needed to be done in the industry so but the book's only 20 bucks um, it's you know i just kept it affordable and uh, hopefully you can find that as a resource Matt, uh, the other I, thing i just want to mention Matt, i can't count yeah. how many times i actually use that book <laughs> so uh th <laughs> thanks for writing it all right yeah you bet i i mean i even have a copy on my desk i mean i talk to people every day about this stuff so but I even have to refer to my own book on, on stuff to look stuff, things up. So, um, so, but I know it's been a resource for a lot of people. And, uh, and uh, one other thing though, I did want to mention besides the book, because I do have a day long self-directed IRA summit, um, growth equity groups uh, going to be a part of that as well. That's on May 7th in Scottsdale. It's also, uh, there's a webcast for it that people can um, sign up for. So that's SDIRA summit. Dot com. That's the uh, website, and you can uh, go to there to get further details. All right, let me jump into the topic here, and 
and before I get into some of the rules and how you do it and what you need to know, I want to first just take a take a step back and look at this from a big picture. Um, this is the amount of money in retirement plans in the United States. There is $25 trillion in retirement plans right now in the United States. It's crazy. This is the most concentrated area of investable cash that Americans have right now. And a lot of us just think of their retirement plans and we think, okay, I'm going to buy XYZ mutual fund or ABC mutual fund. And as I speak across the country, and I speak to a lot of real estate groups, I'll, I'll, I get into a group and I ask, tell me a mutual fund you want to buy with your retirement account. And no one in the room can have, has any recommendation of any mutual fund you should own right now. Yet half the room has a retirement account that owns mutual funds. And, um, and a lot of them, though, know real estate, uh, as an example, and they want to invest in real estate. But they haven't realized, wait, I can use my retirement account to invest in real estate. I can take that same money I already have that I'm buying stuff I don't even know. I'm just guessing. And I can buy real estate where I feel like I have a competitive advantage, where I feel like I'm protected from the ups and downs of the stock market, um, where I have an actual hard asset I can walk to instead of a piece of paper. Um, or something I look at online on a statement. Um, and that's what we're talking about here in, in with retirement plans is I want people to understand that they're not just restricted. You're not just in a box of Wall Street investment options. So you can invest in real estate. You can invest in startup companies. And that's what a self-directed IRA really is. So there's 25 trillion out there. I know some of you listening have it, uh, your, your slice of it. And uh, and, and the purpose of today is we want to broaden your mind on how you can invest it and teach the most important rules as you self-direct um, and invest in real estate. Um, self-directed IRAs have had a lot of um, attention to them. Mitt Romney in the last presidential campaign um, seems so long ago, but you know he had a lot of press about his IRA that had $100 million in it. He was self-directing it. He was just buying startup business or turnaround company stock. He wasn't buying mutual funds or buying stocks on Wall Street. He was investing in what he knew. Um, you had PayPal founder and CEO Peter Thiel. He's one of the most famous venture capitalists, one of the first investors in Facebook who used his self-directed IRA to invest in Facebook, a Roth IRA nonetheless, and received hundreds of millions in profits uh, from that transaction. But uh, he's got a lot of press for using his self-directed retirement account, again, investing in what he knows. He's a technology startup guy. He invests in technology startups. Um, and then there's been some others. The Yelp founder and chairman, Max Levchin, also has had some reports on uh, using his Roth IRA and self-directing it. Now, the real estate deals aren't as sexy as some of these tech people or people running for president. But um, the Government Accountability Office, who studies self-directed IRAs, did a report or excuse me, who studied IRAs a couple years ago, did a report and found that the large people that have the largest IRAs are essentially investing in quote unquote alternative assets. Um, and they're referring to people using self-directed IRAs. So we know they can be a powerful tool and let's just jump into how they can be used and some of the um, things you need to know along the way. Now, when retirement accounts were first started, Congress said, all right, we're creating retirement accounts which have this tax favorable status. You know, when, when you're using a 
IRA or money from an IRA or money from your 401k and you buy stock, let's say an Apple for $100 a share and you sell it for $150 a share, you know, you're getting this tax preferential treatment because you don't pay any tax when you sell it for $50 share gain. So you bought for 100, again, you sell for 150. If you do that in your retirement account, whether it's an IRA, a 401k, doesn't matter, you don't pay tax on the, on the profits. It just builds up in your retirement account. And if it's a Roth, it builds up and comes out tax-free. If it's a traditional, it builds up tax deferred and you pay taxes when you pull the money out at retirement. But it's a really powerful um, tax shelter because you don't pay taxes, you're accumulating the investments and making money. And in the Roth accounts, you never pay tax at all. So because these were such special and tax favorable accounts, Congress decided to create a number of restrictions to them. And, and they said, there's a number of restrictions we're gonna create what you can't buy. One was collectible items. They don't want you to buy collectibles. Okay, well, no one here probably wanted to buy stamps or, or coins. Maybe someone wanted to buy a wine collection here. Um, and you used to be able to buy that, by the way, with your retirement account. You used to be able to buy these collectible items. They had to change this rule because it was being abused because people were buying wine collections that turned into bottle collections. But um, collectibles are restricted. You can't buy that. Fine, that doesn't affect us if we're looking at real estate. Life insurance, can't buy it. Okay, fine. Um, S-corporation stock, you don't, you're, an IRA just doesn't qualify as an S-corporation shareholder, so you can't buy that either. So really, there's not many rules that restrict what a retirement account can buy. There are rules, which we'll talk about later, that restrict whom the retirement account can transact with. And that's, that's an important part called the prohibited transaction rules. But uh, as I've talked about these retirement accounts, how powerful they are, you know, you, you make profits on something, whether it's, you know, you pick the right stock and you get a gain, you don't pay tax on it. The same thing with real estate. If you buy a property for $100,000, sell it for $150,000, that $50,000 gain goes back into the retirement account, you don't pay any tax. It continues to build up and again, comes out tax-free if you have a Roth or tax-deferred if you have a traditional account. So when we look at a self-directed IRA, all a self-directed IRA is, is it means it's an IRA that can invest in any investment allowed by law. And that could be real estate, that could be stock, that could be a mutual fund, doesn't matter. Um, any, the self-directed IRA is an, is an IRA that can invest in any investment allowed by law. Now, most people are familiar with, you know, an IRA with a broker dealer like Fidelity or Merrill Lynch. And those companies are gonna say, all right, you can buy financial products because we're a financial services company, we sell financial products, so that's what your IRA can buy with. <laughs> and um, that's why people, essentially, that it's just industry and what's sold to retirement accounts is financial products. So that's what retirement accounts can buy. But if you have a self-directed IRA and you use a self-directed IRA custodian, there's like 30 of them out there, it's a growing industry, self-directed IRA custodian, they're, they custody, they're custodians for IRA accounts and they'll let you invest in any investment allowed by law, real estate being the most popular self-directed IRA asset. The most people who self-direct their retirement account and use a self-directed IRA buy real estate. And what happens when you buy real estate, and I wanna get to this diagram here I have on the slide is, when you buy real estate with a retirement account, you have to keep in mind, this isn't, for example, Matt Sorensen. Let's say this is my IRA here. Let's say I had a IRA at Merrill Lynch and I decide, all right, I wanna go 
I want to buy real estate with this. So I roll it over and I find a self-directed IRA custodian. I move the money over. I get a self-directed IRA custodian. There's no tax, by the way, when you just change custodians. It's still an IRA like it was before. And now I'm at a self-directed IRA custodian. I say, I want to buy a piece of rental property. And the important thing to think of here is this isn't Matt Sorensen buying real estate. This is Matt Sorensen's IRA buying real estate. So the IRA is on the contract to buy the property. So it'd be in the name of the custodian. And it usually says like FBO, Matt Sorensen IRA. So ABC Retirement Company, FBO, Matt Sorensen IRA. That's what's on the purchase contract. That's what's on the deed in the property. And when there's money paid, that goes from my custodian's account that they hold for my IRA and I instruct them to send that to buy the property. I instruct them to send that for the down payment. When there's rental income on the property, after it's purchased, they'll send the, the tenant of the property, if this is a rental, for example, pays my IRA and it gets deposited and grows in my IRA. When there's expenses, those are paid from my IRA. Now you may have a property manager here, you know, managing the rental income and paying expenses on the property. But I just want to keep in mind, the first thing and point to understand is when you have a self-directed IRA and it buys something like real estate, it's your IRA that owns the property or the investment. It's not you personally. Now you can always take money out of an IRA, a self-directed IRA, just like any other IRA. You have to take a distribution and you know there's a penalty if you're not 59 and a half yet. So th those rules are all the same. But uh, the, the goal is obviously to build up the account so that it can be used once you reach retirement. That's the basics here of a self-directed IRA. Again, the key being you want to find a self-directed IRA custodian and you roll over whatever existing retirement plan money you have, or that's an IRA or an old employer 401k or whatever else you may be able to move. And uh, so that's the basics of the self-directed IRA. Now, I want to go over the most important rules to understand when you self-direct your IRA. The most important rule to understand when you self-direct your IRA is called the prohibited transaction rules. This is a rule that says not what your IRA can invest in, but whom the IRA can transact with. And so again, if you think of these accounts and Congress creating these very tax favorable accounts, Congress, you know, our great representatives in Washington, DC, um, they're, passing these laws saying we're going to collect less taxes and people can build up money for retirement and they wanted to incentivize us to do that but they said we don't trust people so we need to create some rules so people don't mess around and make some transactions to avoid tax this set of rules was called the prohibited transaction rules now the first thing they said and there's a different few different varieties of these there's a per se a prohibited transaction an extension of credit and self-dealing i'll explain each one here separately. But the first thing that they said basically was, we don't want your IRA to transact with certain family members or people we feel that are too close to the account holder that they could make up some transaction to avoid tax. So for example, if I owned a property personally right now, I cannot sell that property to my IRA. And Congress wanted to restrict that because they thought, well, Let's say Matt bought a property for 100,000 that's now worth 250,000 and he doesn't want to sell it to someone else to pay taxes, so he'll just sell it for 100,000 to his IRA and then he'll have his IRA sell it to someone else for 250 and let his IRA take all the gain because his IRA doesn't pay any taxes. This is what they thought people would do and this is probably what people would do. So they restricted it and they said, 
You can't do that. You can't transact yourself with your own IRA because we think there's, we don't, we want you to be separate from your IRA and we don't want you to be able to take advantage of these tax benefits unfairly. So your IRA can transact with everyone else. I mean, you know, some other, you know, on people you don't know. I mean, the IRA can buy a property from someone that you're unrelated to and sell it to someone. I mean, that stuff's fine and that's what mostly happens. But you just have to keep in mind there's certain people who are disqualified under the rules and that's the term of people that your IRA cannot transact with. So this per se prohibited transaction occurs whenever an IRA um, engages in a transaction and transaction is just, you know, purchase, sell, lease, exchange, and all those things I got listed there. Really think of any time money comes in or out of your IRA, that's a transaction. So your IRA cannot have a transaction with a disqualified person. Now this list of disqualified person, this is like the naughty list. Your IRA can't transact with them. It includes you as the owner of the IRA, your spouse, your kids, your parents, um, also your spouse's kids, certain companies that you, your, you and your family members own, excuse me, 50% or more of, those people are all disqualified. They don't want your IRA transacting with those parties. Now here's the list here. This is the people who your IRA cannot engage in a transaction with. And you'll note that the list is really specific and this is just a result of the tax code. Um, there's not a lot of logic in the tax code. So um, if you're looking for logic, you're in the wrong place. But, um, but, but here, let me just give you a couple examples of how these rules are kind of weird, of who's disqualified and who isn't. So let's say my father has a piece of real estate he wants to sell and I want to buy it with my IRA. Well, I can't do that because that would be my IRA engaging in a transaction, purchasing the property with a disqualified person, my father. So parents of the retirement account owner are on this list of who's disqualified. But let's say instead of my father owning the property that it was a property my sister owned. Let's say my sister owned a property that she wanted to sell and I decided, oh, I wanna buy that with my IRA. So if I go to buy that with my IRA, that's okay now. Now this is my IRA purchasing a property, that's a transaction, but my sister, brothers and sisters, siblings are not on the list of who's disqualified here, so that's okay. Obviously, any other distant family members, cousins, aunts, uncles, those people are also not disqualified. So there's some of these rules are a little tricky, but the important thing is you want to know when you start self-directing your retirement account, who is a disqualified person? Again, if it's the owner of the IRA, their spouse, their kids, you know, their, their spouse's kids, their parents, any companies that IRA owner that or these family members own 50% or more of, that's who's disqualified and whom your IRA cannot transact with. Now, the second type of prohibited transaction, the second way you can get into a prohibited transaction is what's by what's called an extension of credit prohibited transaction. And this rule has kind of changed some of the ways you buy real estate when you use a self-directed IRA. It makes it a little different than when you may buy real estate personally. But what this extension of credit prohibited transaction rule does, does is it restricts you from guaranteeing or providing credit to your IRA for its investments. So for example, if my IRA is going to buy a, a rental property, I can't guarantee the loan for my IRA to buy it. 
that would be an extension of credit prohibited transaction because I'm extending credit for the benefit of my retirement account and I'm a disqualified person to my retirement account. So that constitutes an extension of credit prohibited transaction. So what's happened in the industry, in the self-directed IRA industry, is there's been banks that have came along that have created loan products that comply with these rules. And there's also a lot of uh, investment opportunities in, in places out there like Growth Equity Group, for example, that are familiar with these rules and have loans involved that comply with these rules. And they're called non-recourse loans. So it is possible for an IRA to leverage its purchasing power with the loan. So let's say I have a $100,000 property I wanna buy with my IRA. Well, I can do that and I can put down maybe 40,000 of cash from the IRA and get a loan for the $60,000 balance. And that, that loan is gonna to need to be what's called non-recourse. That means I as the IRA owner don't guarantee the loan. And in the event of default, the lender's recourse under the loan documents is to foreclose and take the property back. That's it. It's called a non-recourse loan. And again, the only recourse of the lender in that loan scenario is to foreclose and take the property back in the event of default. So that type of loan complies with the IRA rules, still allows you to leverage your retirement accounts investments with by using a loan. Now, whenever you leverage your IRA and buy real estate, and most people who buy rentals in their personal name get a loan, um, I'd say it's maybe 50-50 in the IRA world of who gets a loan and who just buys it with cash with their IRA. But whenever you do leverage your IRA with a loan, you have to know two things. First, what we've already talked about, the loan must be non-recourse. The second thing you need to know is there's a tax called UDFI tax, unrelated debt financed income tax that's due on the income from the debt. Now this is a complicated tax, frankly. If you go to the tax code or you go to any IRS publications to try and understand this, you're gonna have a headache. And I, I mean, I like tax stuff. And I don't, I don't even like reading this about UDFI. It's tricky. <laughs> and the rules were created really for nonprofits, but they got applied to retirement accounts. So they're really hard to, to make sense of. But here's what we know. Here's how UDFI works. And the best way to understand it is just by an easy example. So let's go back to the property I bought, $100,000 property, 40,000 of it came from my IRA, 60,000 of it came from a loan. Now what the IRS says is whenever you leverage your IRA with a debt, they look at that and they say, wait a second, there's some money in your investment here that's not retirement plan money. You have the benefit of the retirement account getting a bigger investment and all the profits go back to the retirement account, but you didn't use all retirement plan money to buy this property. There was debt involved. There was non-retirement plan money involved. So what they say is we're going to tax the profits attributable to the debt. In the example we have there of the 100,000 property, 40,000 is retirement plan cash, 60,000 is debt. The IRS is going to say 60% of that property is leveraged with debt. It's non-retirement plan money. Therefore, 60% of the profits get subjected to this UDFI tax. The other 40% of the profits go back to the retirement account. There's no tax on it because it, you know, it's retirement plan money. You get the, that benefit. But let's say that I had a property and I mean, it was a great cash flowing property. 
uh, after all my expenses and even even get to take depreciation expense, the mortgage interest, obviously, any property expenses. Let's say that I, I netted cash flow of 10 grand for the year. Now, what you would do in this scenario is you say, okay, I got 10,000 of income from this property the IRA owns. 40% of that goes back to the IRA without tax, so 4,000 is going to go right back to the retirement account. The other 6,000, that's profits attributable to non-retirement plan money, so that gets subjected to this UDFI tax. Uh, and so 6,000 is subjected to this. And what happens is the IRA ends up paying a tax on that. So um, the tax rate goes from zero to 39.6%. Um, but it's a, uh, it's kind of a, um, you know, in that rate, you may pay 1200 bucks approximately. I, I don't know. I'd have to, I think it's approximately around there. You pay maybe 1200 bucks in this UDFI tax. And what happens is your IRA ends up actually filing a tax return and ends up, um, paying the tax itself. So the money comes from the IRA. Now that's it. That's the two things you need to know. Now I am. I've done a much longer kind of two hour webinar on this UDFI tax and how you calculate it. And I do some sample tax returns and pencil through all the numbers that there's webinar on my website that goes into that, into that nitty gritty. But that's all you need to know really two things. You leverage the IRA, don't guarantee the loan. It needs to be non-recourse and there's UDFI tax on the profits. Now from my example or from my experience, a lot of clients say, oh man, I don't, I don't like UDFI tax because I'm thinking of my retirement account and I think, oh, no tax at all. Well, I don't think it's that bad really because you're leveraging the, the purchasing power of the retirement account and you're only paying tax on the debt, which is money you never had in the IRA anyways. Um, and if it was personal money you had in the deal, you'd have to pay tax on it anyways. So it's not, it's not that uh, bad of a deal. As I've ran the numbers over the years for clients, um, once you see the actual numbers in the end, it's, uh, uh, it doesn't really have a, a big effect on your returns. If it's a great property, it's a good property that's gonna cash flow, better build it up in the retirement account over time, and, um, and UDFI tax can really be minimized. All right, let me... Uh, yeah, let me stop you there for just one second. So uh, yeah. when calculating your UDFI and ultimately your UBIT tax, um, you're actually take you're able to take your traditional write-offs that you would normally take on real estate. You're just taking those inside the account uh, against your yeah. gross income, correct? Absolutely, yeah. So you're still taking mortgage interest. You still take depreciation. Right. And so I'll have clients that cash flow a property. You know, their IRA is growing every year, um, but because of depreciation expense, they never have UDFI. Um, just because. Yeah, you know, that depreciation expenses, you know, not expense you're actually incurring. That's that's coming off the property from when you first purchased it. So you'll have a lot of people that fall in that scenario. Well, I've had I've had a lot of people get get scared by the terminology UDFI and, and UBIT and not really understand yeah. that at the end of the day when you're when you're lessing out your expenses, you're really minimizing any tax that you would have that you would have due on your um, on your investment. So at the at the yeah. end of the day, when you're done calculating it, it typically works out to a, a very minute uh, amount. Yeah, and I have clients who are, um, you know, sometimes I have a client come to me and they say, well, I have enough cash to buy one property or I have enough cash to buy two and I'll get a non-recourse loan on each. You know, and they're looking at doing this with their IRA. 
And as I've ran the numbers over the years, if, if they're good properties, you're better off buying two and getting a non-recourse loan. Um, and you can, you know, this is this is just math, really. The, the tricky part is a lot of people do get scared by it. Um, and that's what I try and do is help people understand specifically how it works in their situation. And, you know, you can analyze their specific property, what they're expecting to make on it, what their loan would be, to give them an idea of, of how this is going to really affect them in their specific situation. Thanks for clarifying that. Sure. All right. Now, the other prohibited transaction I want to talk about is self-dealing. This is basically a rule that they came up with that says we don't want you to unfairly benefit from your IRA's investment. So let's say your IRA owns a property. If you were a real estate agent or someone, you know, you couldn't get the commission on it. Um, you can't live in it or have your kids live in it or have disqualified people use it. So you need to keep the investment separate. They shouldn't be giving you any personal benefit other than growing your retirement account. All right. Now, the last thing I just want to talk about is something called an IRA LLC. I'm trying to hit all the greatest hits of self-directed IRAs in real estate of what you need to know, which is these prohibited transaction rules I mentioned. Um, you got to make sure you get those right. If you mess up a and have a prohibited transaction in your IRA, it gets disqualified. The second thing to know is that tax we talked about, UDFI, for a moment. Um, when you leverage your IRA, you just need to know about it. The IRA ends up filing a tax return to pay it if you if you have to pay it, um, but it's only on the debt, the non-IRA money in the deal. Now, the third thing when you get into real estate and you're self-directing to know about is something called an IRA LLC. Now, when we talk about an IRA owning real estate, generally what's happening is your self-directed IRA custodian in the normal sense would own the property directly. So they would be on title to the property and you'd have to authorize them to pay money from the IRA for something on the property. They receive the income on the property. You authorize expenses on the property. You know, the property is deeded in their company name, FBO for your IRA. So it's a little, little tricky on holding real estate in that way. When it's stock or things like that, it's really easy, but real estate can be kind of tricky like that. So what a lot of real estate investors use is what's called an IRA LLC. Some people have called it a checkbook control IRA. But what that is, is rather than the IRA owning the real estate, the IRA owns 100% of an LLC. The LLC in turn owns the real estate. So now what I'll do is if this is Matt's self-directed IRA, it's going to establish a new LLC and own it 100%. These LLCs are a little unique. My office helped set them up. We charge 800 bucks plus state filing fees for them. And what will happen is my IRA owns it 100%. It's going to invest an amount of cash I designate, and that's going to go to the LLC. Let's say I decide to call the LLC ABC Investments LLC. My self-directed IRA custodian is going to cut a check from the IRA. Once they approve the LLC docs, they'll put it out to ABC Investments LLC. Let's say I wanted to invest $150,000. They'll then send me the check for that as manager of the LLC. It'll be written out for $150,000 to ABC Investments LLC, and I'll go open up an LLC checking account for that IRA LLC. It's just a regular LLC checking account. You deposit the $150,000 check in the LLC bank account, and now the LLC can go out and buy the property. 
Now what you can do is you can be manager of this LLC. You're not manager of an LLC is like president of the corporation. It's the person who acts for the LLC. As manager of the LLC, you can sign checks, manage the bank account. When the LLC goes to buy a property, I can sign the contract for the LLC. Um, you know, you can hire people to work on the property, make decisions for the property, all that stuff. As manager of the LLC, you're kind of the decision maker for the LLC and have authority to sign for the LLC. Now, you don't have any ownership personally. Your IRA owns the LLC 100%, so you're not making any money, and you can't pay yourself a salary or anything like that. That would cause a prohibited transaction, um, but you can serve as the manager and handle these administrative and investment oversight tasks. And so what happens is the LLC ends up buying the property. Now rental income goes to the LLC's bank account. When there's expenses, you cut a check from the LLC to pay the expenses. And now everything happens from LLC to the property. And it's a, it's a lot easier to, um, to handle. So that's the structure here. And the example we have here, the IRA owns it 100%. There's no tax return required for, for, from the IRS for the LLC when you have an IRA that owns the LLC 100%. It's called a single member LLC for tax purposes. You'll just have to keep the LLC active with the state, whatever state you set it up in. And we usually recommend people set up the LLC in the state where they're buying property. Um, these are some of the things I talked about. What you can do as manager, again, you can do administrative investment oversight tasks. You can manage the bank account for the LLC, sign contracts, that stuff's all okay. What you can't do though is you can't pay yourself a salary. There's been some cases where people did that and they had a prohibited transaction. You can't benefit from the LLC. You still can't stay in the property. And that LLC bank account too is don't put personal money in it or use the LLC bank account for personal things. That'll cause a prohibited transaction. That LLC bank account that has the IRA's money and pays expenses and receives income for the LLC's investments, that's like sacred retirement account money. Um, it can build up in the LLC and be used to invest in other places. Or if you ever want to take money, you send money from the LLC back to your self-directed IRA and then take a distribution from your IRA. So the advantages of the IRA LLC is having um, you know, a lot of access, being able to manage the bank account, enter into contracts, receive income, pay expenses. That's a huge benefit. Also, just having an LLC for just like in any other real estate investment, there's some liability protection by using an LLC that protects you personally and your IRA from liability that could occur on a property. Um, so these LLC documents I mentioned, they're a little unique from regular LLCs. You need to have them created properly. Um, again, my office helps with those. We do them on a, on a regular basis and all the companies in the industry we've worked with are familiar with our documents on that. Now, there's different ways to structure these LLCs. I showed you first, you know, one IRA owning the LLC 100%. But here, then now you have two IRAs owning the LLC, and this could be my Roth IRA, my traditional IRA, my IRA, my wife's IRA, my IRA, my friend's IRA, it doesn't matter. We can have multiple accounts own an LLC that then own the property. And sometimes you'll have that where people will partner up and say, hey, let's, I got, you know, 100,000 in my account, you got 100,000 let's go 50-50 into an LLC and go buy a property. Now, whenever you do a, what's called a multi-member IRA LLC like this, particularly if it's like a husband and wife or it's your Roth account and your traditional account, you must have the retirement accounts come into the LLC at the same time, so when you set it up, and 
you have to break up the ownership between the accounts based on dollars invested. So if this was my IRA, and let's say it was putting in $30,000 to the LLC, and the other IRA is my wife's IRA putting in 70 grand, we would then allocate 30% ownership to my IRA for putting in 30, 70% ownership to my wife's IRA for putting in 70. And you have to break up the ownership based on dollars invested, and we need to come into the LLC at the same time. There's lots of other variations of this. You know, you can have multiple retirement accounts. You can have individuals. Um, there's lots of different ways to structure this, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds on it, but I just want to let people know there's lots of different options on how you structure these and how retirement accounts can be used in real estate. I, mean, I have clients doing multifamily stuff, commercial stuff, tax liens, um, single-family rentals, I mean, everything, um, and you can use retirement accounts all to do that within, with lots of different variations of partners or no partners or doing a loan, not doing a loan, lots of different ways to do this. The key is just knowing these basic rules so you know how to play the game, so to speak. And uh, that's what's critical as you start out. Self-directing retirement account is to understand these basic rules. Uh, I hope this is a helpful introduction to that. I kind of went over what we talked about as UDFI tax, Again, that's the tax that applies when you leverage your IRA with debt. Um, the other tax that can apply to real estate if you're doing real estate development, construction, or a lot of short-term flipping, that's another common area where people can have UBIT tax in their IRA. UBIT tax is one of these taxes that applies to IRAs, similar to the tax on debt, which the IRA ends up having to pay tax. And essentially what UBIT is, is Congress said, IRAs are supposed to receive investment income, and as long as you're receiving investment income, you don't have to pay this UBIT tax. But if you start receiving business income, they call it unrelated business income, if you start receiving business income, which is not investment income anymore, then the IRA has to pay tax. And business income would be like a real estate development or construction or a lot of short-term flipping of property. That's deemed to be business income as opposed to rental, excuse me, as opposed to investment income. So that can cause this tax called UBIT this UBIT tax rate goes from zero to 39%. It's kind of a nasty level tax. Um, uh, but again, a lot of people in real estate are gonna avoid this because here's the exemptions. Rental income is exempt from UBIT. So if you're buying a rental property, don't worry about it, you're getting rental income. When you sell the property for gain, you're getting capital gain income, don't worry about UBIT, you're exempt from it. If you're loaning other people money for real estate or other stuff, that's interest income. It, it, that income's exempt from UBIT. So um, passive investments like you know rental real estate and such, uh, those are exempt from UBIT. The only tax issue you may have is if you get if you're buying rentals, for example, is um, if you're leveraging with debt, and that's the UDFI tax we already talked about. All right. Well, I wanted to let everybody know too the the self-directed IRA summit I mentioned earlier. That's May 7th. It's live in Scottsdale, Arizona. Love to see any of you out here. We also do a virtual stream of it. This is a full day event. These rules are a little tricky. I've brought together me and some of the other experts in the industry to do a full day of training on self-directed IRAs. Um, I do training for the Retirement Industry Trust Association, which is the um, National Association for the Self-Directed IRA Companies in the Industry, and I'm part of their curriculum that does their instructors and 
the people who build their curriculum for certification in the industry for people who work there. And I have, after I've done that for a while, I thought, I got to do something for investors. They need to know these rules more than the people in the industry. It's their money. Um, so that's why I created that summit. And uh, there is a discount code that I know Growth Equity Group has of GEG. If you go to my Self-Directed IRA Summit website at sdiarasummit.com, you can enter in that code at checkout, GEG, and it gets you $150 off the live event or $100 off the virtual event. All right. So what I want to do is just talk a little bit about what my company does for specifically for that self-directed real estate investor. We kind of put everything together with what we call the GEG solution, which kind of it, it encompasses everything from start to you know you going through the process and getting educated and, and then identifying an investment of your interest, uh, complete with non-recourse financing in place with tenants already in place. It's an immediate cash flow investment for those self-directed investors without running into any complications with prohibited transactions because we uh, we actually take care of all the moving parts. So we've been doing uh, residential real estate now between uh, myself and my business partner for over 30 years worth of experience. And uh, we know the nuances of the industry. Um, we've done over 5,000 residential real estate transactions, and we've been helping self-directed real estate investors really since 2006. Uh, we were building new construction real estate at that time, um, but we had a lot of our clients asking us how they could utilize their retirement accounts for real estate investment. And uh, we began to dive into the space. And uh, a couple years later, I know we met Matt, and he's been a tremendous resource for us in getting educated and learning all the nuances of how to navigate and how to correctly, uh, you know, how to correctly navigate these waters. So uh, we've we've done uh, almost 200 million in uh, self-directed real estate transactions alone. So we we know the business very well. Um, we've got almost 10 years worth of experience in the space now, and we were recently uh, we were recently honored with uh, the Chicago Innovation Award. Uh, we were actually the People's Choice uh, Champion for an in innovation that our company has um, on our software program called GEGManager.com. Uh, when everyone gets an opportunity, go ahead and go to uh, gegmanager.com and there's a tutorial video that shows you how that software program works and how it actually makes real estate investment in your retirement account as easy as what you've always done, as easy as those stocks and, and mutual funds and, and annuities where you can just log in anytime, day or night, and you can check the status of your account. Everything is actually kept right in that software program for you so you can view those statements, you can see any work orders, uh, maintenance issues on the property are all recorded with receipts in there. Um, it's, it's very, very detailed and our clients obviously love it. Uh, so the re that's the reason uh, for the Chicago Innovation Award. But we were honored to be at NASDAQ. It's kind of, it's kind of strange. And I didn't know if, I, I didn't know if uh, you already knew this, Matt, but you know, we felt like they were recognizing, you know, a company that operates in the alternative investment space. So uh, we got a good chuckle out yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah, I loved seeing that actually. I was, that was super cool. And I did love the irony of that also. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, we thought about it the whole time. 
But uh, let's talk a little bit about our model for success. Uh, it, all, it all starts with market evaluation. One of the unique things about our company is that we're not fixated on one real estate market. We're not constantly uh, pitching that one real estate market is the best market for your dollars at any point in time because we know that that is not the truth. It's all about evaluating market cycles and leaving, leaving yourself open to the possibility of investing in markets ahead of the masses, really. When you're, when you're able to go out there and do the diligence that we do on individual markets, we can identify the correct time to get ourselves and our clients involved in those markets. So after we've identified those markets, we move in and we identify specific assets or we build assets in those markets, depending on those market conditions and available inventory. Then, after we've identified those specific assets and they've passed our acquisition criteria, we actually do something that nobody else in the country really does, is we bring in lenders who we've built relationships with over the last 10 years to pre-qualify all of our property for non-recourse financing. And I know Matt kind of elaborated on that. Um, I wanna break it down a little bit further um, and relate it to your conventional financing that I'm sure most of you on the webinar are actually familiar with. Uh, you, 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 when you went out to get financing on your primary residence, you walked in the front doors at Wells Fargo, at uh, Bank of America, whichever uh, mortgage broker that uh, you spoke to. And they asked you for pretty much everything under the sun, right? They ask you for tax returns, credit report, uh, you know, income and assets, and they ask you for probably a blood sample <laughs> to qualify you uh, for that mortgage. And all the recourse that that bank has is on you individually. Well, in this case, like Matt had mentioned, this it's not actually you that's purchasing the real estate. It's your self-directed retirement plan that's actually purchasing and holding that asset. So the only financing that we can utilize to leverage dollars out of our retirement account is non-recourse financing, meaning that the lender is solely underwriting the property and its wherewithal to fulfill the mortgage obligation on its own because there's no recourse on you individually. The only recourse is on that asset. So all of our properties have gone through this underwriting criteria and the lenders come back to us with pre-qualified rate and terms. Now, what else do we do? Well, we place top management in every location around the country that we get ourselves and our, and our clients involved in. Uh, we, we qualify tenants and place them on no less than annual leases. Um, we do everything, you know, step by step. So we make sure that uh, you know, as potential clients that you are educated, that you understand everything before making that investment decision. And then we have that GEG manager uh, that really helps you, uh, gives you peace of mind. You can sign in anytime and check the status of your account. And then we do uh, quarterly and annual evaluations with all of our clients so that we can make sure that they are on track to reach their retirement goals. So we really lay out a plan with each one of our clients so that we can help them uh, achieve the goals that they have set for that retirement plan. Now, 
the markets that we typically focus in on are emerging markets, college towns and urban markets. And these are the markets that we and our clients have had the most success with because there's stability there. Uh, we tend to shy away from those boom bust real estate markets like your Miami, Florida or your Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, you know, we want to see an economic backbone in markets before we go in and we buy real estate or we build it with our own dollars. So let me tell you a little bit about a few markets that most recently we've been involved in. Uh, first one being the state of Virginia. Now, this is due to the, the nearly $6 billion expansion on the Panama Canal. Now, most of you are like, well, what does that have to do with Virginia? <laughs> well, the, the, the expansion that's occurring with the Panama Canal is widening and deepening and putting in new channels so that the post-Panamax ships, those super huge cargo ships, can actually move through the Panama Canal to the East Coast. Well, the only port on the East Coast that is actually deep enough and wide enough to handle those ships is the Port of Virginia. So you can imagine the impact that this is having on the real estate market in this area. You're talking about nearly a $1 billion expansion on the infrastructure surrounding the Port of Virginia so that they can handle the influx of 25 to 30% more business that they're going to be stealing away from Long Beach, California. So you can imagine the population growth, the jobs that are being created, and that's having a trickle effect on the real estate market there. We've been actually in Virginia now for the last three and a half years. And, you know, we identified that right time to be buying back into that market and our clients have reaped the benefits of it, um, you know, over the course of the last three and a half years. So proud to say that, you know, we're, we're about sold out of inventory uh, in Virginia. And the, the last two deals that we tried to negotiate in the area were actually taken down by institutional uh, investors. So uh, needless to say, that market has uh, really come back to a point where, you know, if you're buying, uh, if you're buying now uh, with institutions buying, they're comfortable buying at those, you know, three and four percent cash on cash returns. And that's that's not the type of return that we want to get. That's not the type of return that our clients are looking for. So, you know, that's why we always evaluate those markets that are going to give us those types of returns, along with realizing the benefits of appreciation on the real estate. Now, the other market that, I, that I'd like to speak about uh, tonight is actually uh, the new Silicon Valley. Now, if I asked you if you, if you would have invested in Silicon Valley back in the 90s, I believe everyone on this webinar would say absolutely. Well, most people don't know, Omaha, Nebraska, is the new Silicon Valley. They have had over 125 startup companies over the last five years. They are number one in the tech industry and they have millennials moving in in droves because they need the jobs. <laughs> so as you can imagine, that effect on the real estate market as well as property owners there um, we're able to generate an increased return because we get to raise our rents. And 
that demand is present, but the supply isn't. So it's a great position to be in as a real estate investor. Uh, we're also in a great market in Texas. While most markets in Texas are already inflated, uh, like your Dallas, like your Houston markets, um, really even Austin, um, Lubbock, Texas, the home of Texas Tech University, is not inflated yet. We can still get in at great purchase prices where we can generate those higher cash on cash returns for ourselves. And that, uh, that area is only expanding. Admissions is going up at Texas Tech University and uh, you know the economic impact of over $1 billion per year on Lubbock County just from Texas Tech University alone is, you know, is that economic backbone in that market. Um, and we also have uh, inventory in our local Chicago market. Um, we're local to Chicago. Um, we know the market very, very well. So we go out and we identify those neighborhoods that are going to be the best for our dollars and the best for our clients. So just some tidbits about the market. When you want more information on what we actually have available, be sure to visit the website growthequitygroup.com or call in post-webinar. And uh, Actually, I've got a full staff in the office tonight that uh, are, are active on the phone so they can answer any questions that you may have. But the secret to investing in these markets is being able to invest ahead of the masses. Being comfortable enough with the diligence that you've done to, to actually invest before everyone else does. <laughs> because you see the writing on the wall before everyone else does. So how do we do that? Well, we have to look at all of our key indicators. So when, as Matt spoke about before, when most of you are investing in mutual funds, um, do you have a crystal ball at what, telling you which mutual fund is going to be the best? Do you have a crystal ball telling you which stock is going to double? No, we don't. We don't have that. But as real estate investors, uh, do we have a crystal ball? What if I told you we do? <laughs> that crystal ball is actually called building permits. It is, a, it is a phenomenal indicator into what is happening in any local real estate market. We evaluate building permits because it tells us that those developers have to go out and start building to meet demand and they have to hit the market at the right time with their new construction product so that they can make a margin on the sale. So they have to be ahead of that curve. So if you notice those building permits going up, that's telling you what is happening in that market and that the supply of real estate is being bought up. Now, all of these things that you see on your screen here, we take into account along with a plethora of other things. Uh, I mean, we're even looking at historical data on these markets to see how these markets have moved over their history so that we have a better understanding of how long it's going to take for these property values to increase and for the rents to directly correlate with that. Um, we already talked about the non-recourse financing. We noticed that that was the huge, huge problem in the self-directed real estate space, is that there was a huge lack of that available non-recourse financing. So we set out to you know, really provide a solution to that problem. Um, 
we set out to, to utilize our own lending relationships in order to get non-recourse financing on all of our assets uh, before it's ever offered out to sale. And the rate and terms on our non-recourse financing is unlike anything else across the country. There's only a couple nationwide non-recourse lenders. Uh, Matt, I'm sure you're familiar with them, North American Savings Bank and, and First Western Federal. Uh, but the problem with yeah. those banks is they just simply don't have enough money to lend. So they may be out there taking 400 million in applications from self-directed real estate investors. But last year, I know collectively, they lent out around $50 million in total. Now that's not a lot of money. <laughs> and that also tells you that 80 plus percent of the applications that they receive were being declined for no rhyme or reason just simply because they didn't have enough money to lend. And we noticed this right away because we, we were trying to help our clients utilize them. And for no rhyme or reason, we'd have uh, 123 Main Street get approved for financing and we'd have 125 Main Street get declined for financing for no rhyme or reason. So we knew what was going on. We knew that those banks didn't have enough money to lend. And so we went to work and we sat in board of directors meetings at banks where we had relationships and we educated them on how to provide this financing. And I'm happy to say that we went from one lender that was willing to do it all the way back in 2007 to now we have seven, eight, nine different lenders that are actually competing to offer this financing on our properties. So you can see on your screen there just a, a quick example of why we knew it was so important. On the left side, you're going to see an all cash purchase for $150,000. Now, Matt had mentioned, you know, 50% of the self-directed real estate investors are out there paying cash for their real estate. Well, you know, the, this, is the, this is the big difference. As you run down the cash flow analysis here, you see a 10.8% internal rate of return on that $150,000 invested. Now, that takes into account uh, appreciation on the asset at the 10-year U.S. inflationary average of 3.4%. So let's take a look at what that same $150,000 invested looks like with our financing in place. You're buying $450,000 worth of real estate. So you're buying three properties, your gross rental income, and that you see how, they, how I've got the mortgage payment factored in there. Well, your net, if you go down to your monthly net cash flow of $1,110, you're already outperforming that $150,000 invested all cash without even factoring in principal reduction on your mortgage. So every month that your tenants are paying their rent, they're reducing the amount of principal that you have on your mortgage. And you now have three assets in that self-directed retirement account that are appreciating. Now, most of the markets that we're involved in, or actually all of the markets that we're involved in are outperforming inflation. Um, but let's just be overly conservative and, and use that 3.4% figure as a basis. You're talking about a 22% internal rate of return on that same $150,000 invested. Now, the beauty of doing this in uh, a tax-advantaged account, in that tax-deferred or tax-free account, is that you know, once these properties pay themselves off, 
if we look at year 10 and those three properties, you, let's say you use the cash flow from the properties over the previous uh, nine years to pay off that property. Well, in year 10, you've got that mortgage balance zeroed out. Look at the amount of cash flow that you are now putting into that tax deferred or tax free environment over $33,000. You're talking about, you know, having a, a 30%, 30 plus percent annual return at that point. So what I want to do is just take a, take a little bit longer look at what the effects of this would have on your retirement plan. So let's take a look at what we've traditionally done. Uh, as a country, we've, we've really been pigeonholed and had our blinders put on us and we've always invested traditionally. Stocks, mutual funds, <laughs> uh, our parents did it, our grandparents did it. Well, we have to change the way we think. We have to change the way we invest and the only way to do that is to get educated. But this example on your screen is actually the, the, the US 100 year average in the stock market of 6.2% on an average stock portfolio. Let's say you start with $150,000 invested and you can see from year one to year 20 there, you're at 6.2%, at you are generating about a $350,000 return on that initial $150,000 invested. So some of you are probably saying, oh, well, that's, that's okay. <laughs> well, it's not okay when you see what you can actually do with those dollars. Let's think back. Let's say you bought your first house 20 years ago in 1996 and you bought that house for $200,000. What would that house be worth today even through the worst recession since the Great Depression. If it's simply keeping up with inflation, that house is worth $390 plus thousand dollars. Now, most of us can think back to when we bought that first house and we can say, well, yeah, that house is worth a lot more money today. Well, what is it gonna do for you over the next 20 years if it's simply keeping up with inflation? Because Property value and rents have always directly correlated with inflation. So you're talking about over $760,000 value on that property 20 years forward. Well, what if I told you that you could do this very thing in a tax-deferred or tax-free environment? What if I told you you could buy a house, have somebody else pay it off, and all the equity growth, appreciation, and cash flow would be yours without giving the government 30 to 40% of that. <laughs> Does that sound like a good deal? Well, let's take a look at what that $150,000 over a 20-year period looks like. Um, monthly rental income, you see your cash flow analysis there. It's about $250,000 in cash flow through the first 10 years on that investment. And you can see you're generating an average return of around 11% uh, cash on cash per year, uh, over 20% per year internal rate of return. But let's take a look at when those properties are paid off. This is, you know, this is really planning to get your account where it needs to be for retirement. So once those properties are paid off, look at the types of returns that you're able to create. You're generating 
over $50,000 on average over the course of the next 10 years, just in positive cash flow alone. You've already paid off those mortgages, so you're appreciating on those three assets all the while. Let's take a look at the difference between the two. You're talking about a cumulative cash flow return of almost $840,000 and a conservative property value estimate of about $850,000. It's not a hard choice uh, of which one you would rather have in your retirement account when you cash your last paycheck. I'm sure everyone would rather have that $1.7 million in your retirement account as opposed to that $500,000. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. We're, we're helping people understand how they can employ a strategy that's different than they've, always, uh, than they've always employed. And we understand that it takes some time to get yourself educated and comfortable enough to actually make that move. But, you know, take it from, you know, take it from a lot of our clients out there. Visit our website. Watch some of our, our, our testimonial videos. Uh, because I'm sure you'll find a client out there that you can relate to, that you're probably in a similar situation as they are, and they made that decision, and hear about the results that they're, that they're creating for themselves, and how much quicker they're going to reach that point where they can retire comfortably. Um, we've got a few publications out there, uh, a couple magazines. If anybody wants a copy of these, be sure to email me. I can get a copy out to you immediately. You can also download our eBooks right on our website, uh, The Four Greatest Challenges Facing Self-Directed uh, Real Estate Investors. And uh, don't risk it, just kind of outlining the prohibited transaction rules. But uh, Matt's book, The Self-Directed IRA Handbook, is uh, is the source for those uh, prohibited transaction rules. So uh, I'm sure he's got them all outlined in great detail in there. So be sure to pick up a copy of his book. Um, but just to, just to recap, you know, all the things that we talked about, if you want more information on what we have available in inventory that's already pre-qualified with non-recourse financing, be sure to call in 866-904-3336. Uh, or email directly at info at growthequitygroup.com uh, and we'll get you any information that you require uh, along with uh, that, uh, that code for signing up for uh, Matt's event here coming up. So let me see if we've got some questions here, Matt. You still with me? All right, sounds good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm ready for any questions that may come my way. All right, good deal. Let me pop, pop the box out here. It's kind of small. All right. Uh, is a solo 401k exempt from, uh, from UDFI? Yes, for real estate. So there's a specific exemption for any employer-based plan that buys real estate with debt. So that would include a solo 401k. Mm -hmm. um, in the real estate world, there's a awesome exemption for that. So that is a great perk to a solo 401k, which is available to people if they're self-employed. You know, you have to be self-employed. You yep. could do a solo K, totally exempt from UDFI. Okay. Uh, another question for Matt. Um, 
how would an IRA LLC benefit me if I wanted to purchase several properties? Um, well, the nice thing about the LLC is it's kind of a central hub for you to own multiple properties. So you could use it for, you know, to buy two or three properties. Um, you know, some people will use separate LLCs for asset protection purposes. You know, just so like if you, know, you got a ton of, like let's say you have 10 properties in one LLC, something happens to the LLC, that could, you know, that if one, something happens to one property, that affects all properties in the LLC. Some people will separate them out for liability purposes, but you don't need to. The one LLC can hold multiple properties. You may just want to separate for um, liability purposes. And for those people who are familiar with using separate LLCs or even with something called a series LLC, you can also do a series IRA LLC, which allows you to separate out properties and liabilities with just one LLC. And uh, we can set that type of series IRA LLC up if you're doing a lot of properties. Well, that's that's interesting, Matt. Uh, probably have you do that for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and we can convert an existing IRA LLC too to a series if, if needed. Okay, perfect. Um, I've got another question for you. Can I manage? Can I manage a property I own in my self-directed LLC? <clears throat> um, yeah. So you have to be careful about what you do and don't do. So. As I explained briefly in the slides, it's okay to do administrative and investment oversight tasks, paperwork stuff, signing contracts, signing checks, making decisions, even visiting a property, that stuff's okay in terms of managing the property. This is you know, within the LLC context. Uh, what you can't do though in any context is you can't work on the property physically, like you can't, you know, go remodel the kitchen or anything like that. Whether you pay yourself or don't pay yourself, it causes prohibited transaction problems. Um, you know, you can't uh, obviously pay yourself compensation. And so it just depends on what you're doing. If you keep it administrative investment oversight, like, and I just think of paperwork stuff, that's always fine for you to do. Screen tenants, do leases, you know. Again, if you're, if you're self-managing, that stuff's okay to do. Yeah, it, I mean, it's really our, our understanding, Matt, and you probably understand it further than we do, but it, it actually states mm -hmm. in, the, in the tax code that you cannot provide a service to your plan, correct? Yeah, and so service is going to depend on what it is. You know, obviously everyone can... Um, so are we talking about a gray area here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this is frankly something the... Yeah, it's a little gray. The IRS doesn't give a lot of guidance on it. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of stick to, if you're doing administrative stuff, you're okay. Just don't okay. do physical work. Yeah. Well, I mean, we just, we always tell our clients not, I mean, not to walk that fine line. We'd rather have them out of harm's way, you know, in terms of any penalties or prohibited transactions. So, all right. Thank you. Yeah. Matt. Um, does UDFI tax end when the loan is paid off or is it a perpetual tax? So UDFI tax um, would apply again for the self-directed IRA when leveraged with debt. And once the loan is paid off and there's no debt for 12 months, then there's no UDFI tax. Because when you calculate UDFI tax, you have to take in the leveraged debt over the prior 12 month period. And you do that every year when you, you know, the IRA has to do a tax return. 
So uh, a good strategy for a lot of people, which you referenced uh, briefly, um, Preston, was if you fo focus all your cash flow to pay down a property's debt and then there's no debt, hold it for 12 months with no debt, then everything moving forward, future rental income or even gain when it's sold, no UDFI tax on any of that. Right, right. Yeah, we I mean, that's that's the whole strategy. And that's what we believe real estate is all about. It's all about long term wealth creation. And when yeah. you're when you're doing it in this tax advantaged environment, it's absolutely phenomenal. I'm, I mean, I can attest to it personally. I've got, you know, uh, several properties in, you know, in my uh, IRA LLC. And it's just phenomenal that, you know, you, that you get to create those types of returns without, without giving the government a dime. So it's, uh, exactly. I'm surprised that, I mean, we've seen a huge influx of business, you know, the first part of this year because of that volatility in the market. Um, it's unfortunate that it takes that volatility and, and people getting scared in order to make that move and, and convert. But, uh, you know, it's encouraging that more and more people are getting educated out there. So um, yeah. I think that that actually about wraps up our questions here, Matt. Um, they wanted uh, uh, the information on your free ebook. Um, do you want to give that uh, that site again where they can download that? Oh, yeah. You can get it actually on my book's website, sdirahandbook.com. You can download it from there. Mm -hmm. um, I had I think I had a text number on the presentation slides that you can text you could a text to, but the easiest way probably is just go to my website sdirahandbook.com yep. and uh, you can download my free ebook. And you there, can you can always email us over here at Growth Equity Group uh, as well, and we can get you all that information. Um, I, so I think that about does it for tonight, Matt. I want to thank you for being on with us and thank everyone for attending. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. All right, everyone. Have a great evening.